Well, there's a reason that diamonds are often used as a metaphor for personal growth and spiritual growth. We'll see that here in just a moment. Consider, though, the Kohinoor, or Mountain of Light Diamond. It's believed to be the most valuable diamond in the world. It is simply listed as priceless. It's from India. Currently, it's in the possession of Queen Elizabeth. The most expensive diamond ever sold is known as the Great Star of Africa, sold for $400 million. Now, think about how diamonds are formed. Diamond is from the Greek word that means invincible or unconquerable, formed in 5,000 degree Fahrenheit heat, require a million pounds of pressure per square inch. And that's why, again, they're used for a metaphor for personal and spiritual growth because it's often in the pressure of life or when the, the heat of life seems to be just overwhelming that inside that invincible spirit, that unconquerable attitude comes forth and out of these challenges are, are formed something priceless, a, a diamond. And as we enter in, into this time of, of Easter, we especially recognize the ultimate picture that Jesus takes that heat of life, the challenges of life, the pressures of life, even our brokenness and the sin that was in our life. And he pulls us out of that and he says, your life is meant to be priceless, this masterpiece, this diamond. So we're going to look at some things here today, a couple of words, especially and what they really mean, because we don't use them in common language today, but understanding them from the New Testament point of view, we realize again all this promise that he is risen, he is risen indeed, calls us now to live this life differently, not just looking to eternity, but here today, here and now, because he's rescued us for something more. Remember Luke 19, we're told that Jesus, he is riding a donkey into Jerusalem to begin Holy Week. Now, why did he ride a donkey into Jerusalem during Holy Week? Well, there's a few reasons for this. The first one is that a donkey represents peace. If he had ridden in during Holy Week on a, a stallion like a conquering general, that would have meant that there had been a war. And Jesus rode on a donkey to express that he was bringing peace. You know, people often use the word to describe Jesus, to describe him from Scripture, and they say, well, he's meek. And we use that word in a negative sense today. And we think meek means weakness. That is not the context or meaning of that word. Meek, in a scriptural sense, especially applied to Jesus, means power under control. There's nothing meek in the sense of weak about Jesus. He is the, the ultimate. He is the power. He is the life, the great I am, the ancient of days. And so when we talk about Jesus or scripture says that he, he rides in on a donkey and there's a meekness, it doesn't mean that there was anything weak. It's controlled power. In fact, the army that came to arrest him on Good Friday when he said, I am he, they all fell down in fear. Think about Jesus standing down the devil 40 days and 40 nights. Imagine if, if we were to have had that experience. Most people would just simply faint to, to see the devil. And here's Jesus facing him down and, and mocking him. There's nothing meek in the sense of weak. Jesus has controlled power, but he enters into our life to bring peace everlasting. He also did it because he said he would. Several hundred years before that first century, Zechariah said, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion, shout, Jerusalem, your king, righteous, victorious, rides on a donkey. Prior
prophecy all throughout scripture, hundreds are markers there so that people at that point and us today can look at those markers and say, the one who fulfills these is Messiah. So think about a few of those. For example, you know, he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. Nobody else did that. He's born in Bethlehem. Everything in Isaiah talking about chapter 53, about the the trial, the crucifixion, the betrayal of what would happen at Easter. He fulfills each of these because he is Messiah. And so these prophecies are there to give a marker for us to say the one that fulfills these is the one we need to place our faith and trust in. He also did it because Genesis 22 says early in the morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey and he took with him his servants and his son, Isaac. Isaac, the the sacrifice of Isaac there in Genesis was a metaphor for the Messiah who would really lay down his life and take it back up again for you and I. So everything about Jesus is to show us that he enters into your life and my life and he will take the pressures of life. He'll turn that good Friday into resurrection morning. He'll take the heat of life and form a masterpiece, a priceless diamond of your life and my life if we simply follow after him. What did Paul say? 1 Corinthians 6.20 You were bought... At a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. When Paul says you're bought at a price, the people in Corinth were living in sin. Some boasting about their sin. And Paul says, let me tell you why you live differently in Jesus. Because you were bought with a price, the price of his life. And because he laid down his life and paid such a price, we choose to live following him seeking to be holy as he is holy. That word bought is sometimes translated redeem. To redeem means to buy back, to bring back from destruction, to restore. That's why we live different for him. Because he bought us back from the sin, from Satan, brought us back from destruction. Sometimes our own choices in our selfishness he restores us no matter where you've been in him we find that new life jd greer said jesus paid the full price to buy us back to redeem us from condemnation to sin he offered it to us freely but it wasn't free it cost him everything you know years ago leonardo buscalglia professor or writer said some very profound things people sought him you know for advice but he's often quoted for something just beautiful where he said life is God's gift to you what you do with that life is your gift back to God so if your life or my life has not been where it should be honoring that price that was paid, we're going to talk about some things that can be done here this day to turn that around because Christ has come to restore us. He's come to deliver us, to bring us back from destruction and show us our life, the priceless gift. So let's go back to the beginning of Holy Week again. Jesus on the donkey and the crowds in Luke 19. Notice what they say 
and especially one word that they use here. We're told as Jesus went along, people spread their cloaks on the road, and the whole crowd joyfully praised God in loud voices for the miracles they had seen. They said, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, and Hosanna in the highest heaven. Now, we don't use that word Hosanna in, in everyday language. What does that word mean? It's something profound, especially to take note when we talk about Resurrection Sunday. You notice here, though, the crowds, they're gathering some because they had seen miracles. Others gathered because the crowd, you know, there was just this sense of being involved in something. Unfortunately, we know some of those same people on Good Friday would go from saying, blessed is he to give us Barabbas and crucify Jesus. Shows us again the challenge of honest faith. We're going to see a man here in a moment who wrestled with that very thing. But if you're wrestling with that, today is the day to lay that battle to rest and say, listen, I've been bought at a price. So I'm going to start following Jesus. If you've just been part of the crowd doing something because it was convenient or maybe just because you wanted to, to get something from God, like the people there, they'd seen a miracle. But you've been living a compromised life. Maybe you show up to church once in a while. Understand that he's entered into this life with his controlled power and strength. He might set us free in all things. We'll see why that word Hosanna plays such an important part in understanding Easter. Joseph Jaworski, though, business leader, said, I discovered people are not really afraid of dying. They are afraid of not ever having lived, nor having deeply considered their life's high purpose, not ever having stepped into that purpose and at least tried to make a difference in this world. You see, when Jesus takes the heat, the pressure of life, and creates our priceless life in him, then we find our purpose, which is to, to share that same hope and promise with the world, with our words, with our actions, with our, with our very being. But let's take a look at a man who wrestled with that very choice. You go to Acts chapter 24, you find the Apostle Paul is, is in jail again. He, he's arrested at different times because why? He keeps preaching that the tomb is empty. And for some, that was the ultimate hope. For others, that was the ultimate controversy. And so wherever he went, he would say, Jesus is alive. He walked out of that tomb on Easter morning and he reigns forevermore. And for some, they embraced that. Others, they rejected that. But whenever he spoke it, it became a controversy. And there was an uproar in these different towns. And so the, the political leaders wanted him to stop causing all this upheaval wherever he went. But he wouldn't stop preaching the resurrection. And so once again, he's in prison here. And he's before the governor named Felix. And Acts chapter 24 we're told this. Notice the wording here. Governor Felix would send for Paul frequently and talk with him. 
So while Paul is in jail, we're told the governor would frequently send for him and talk with him. In fact, he would sit with Paul. Basically, he's having a, a Bible study with the apostle. And we're told Felix would discuss this with his wife. He finds all of this so compelling, so fascinating. It's intellectually stimulating. So he listens to Paul and they talk frequently. Here's their last conversation. Starting verse 25, notice what happens now. Paul talked to Felix about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Felix was afraid and said, that's enough. You may leave. That was their last conversation. You see, for Felix, the intellectual discussion about Jesus, this compelling person, this miracle worker, this one who had conquered death, for Felix, it's a great scholastic debate. But when Paul looked at him, as Scripture also talks about your life and my life and says, let me tell you why his resurrection matters today. Because Jesus is alive. And he's purchased us from the power of sin so that we could live, again, notice the words, righteously, with self-control, and understanding there's a judgment upon sin. And when Felix hears, you mean I have to make a change, you mean I might have to give up all my selfishness, that's when Felix says, that's enough. I don't want to talk anymore. And scripture says he was afraid. Why afraid? Because he didn't want to change. To give up sin for righteousness, well, that would mean not just giving in to every whim. To live with self-control when he was used to taking and having whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted. To talk about the judgment, the consequence for sin, well, that meant he had to examine his life and the choices he had made. And Felix became afraid. And so many are similar to Felix. Maybe there's something they found compelling about Christ. And they like to kind of be outside in the crowd. But when it gets down to it and Jesus says, let's talk about your righteousness. Let's talk about your self-control. Let's talk about the consequence for sin. Many like the crowd say, give me Barabbas. Give me my selfish once. Give me my sin. Tony Scott said it well. You are one choice away from totally transforming your life. You can start now and write a new ending to your story. That's what Easter presents to us as we see the empty tomb, not as an intellectual debate or a fascinating note in history. It is that moment upon which all of history hinges. Jesus walked out of that tomb. He enters into your life and my life, and he will take the pressures and the heat and create something priceless. But you and I are one choice away from a totally different life. And just like the crowds, will we choose to follow him? Think about Mother Teresa. She was a, a wealthy person. 
She had a high-paying salary as a teacher. One day driving down the street, saw somebody suffering, dying on the side of the road, put them in her car. She drove that car to a hospital. They said, we don't help people from that cast here. Went to a second hospital, same thing. A third hospital, same thing. So she took that dying person home, cared for them compassionately. Shortly thereafter, they passed away, but with peace and comfort. How many people has Mother Teresa helped? With one choice away from a completely different life. Everybody else walked past, drove past that suffering person until this well-paid teacher stopped and said, this is a moment, a moment for me to choose. Do I choose self or do I choose to give to somebody else? So how many people did Mother Teresa help in her life, her and her missionaries? She was asked that a few years before she died, and at that point, the number 54,000. 54,000, because one person said, I am one choice away from a totally different life. I love Max Lucado's statement here. He said, "If I wonder if God created people like Mother Teresa, so he can prove his point. See, you can do something on your life's journey that will outlive you. So at the beginning of Holy Week, why did the crowds cry, Hosanna? What does that word mean? Hosanna is translated a few ways. For instance, it can be translated, save now, please. can be translated, I beg you to save. It can be translated, please deliver us. Please deliver us. So when the crowd saw Messiah, when they had been oppressed by cruel leaders, when they had seen injustice, when they had known the fear of death, when they had known the defeat of sin, when they looked at lonely, broken hearts and they saw this man, Jesus the Christ, they said, please deliver us. And on Sunday morning, when that tomb was empty, that was the promise of that very deliverance. Deliverance from sin, deliverance from destruction, deliverance from self. Deliverance from the power of Satan or the fear of death so that we can enter in now into a new life. The resurrection life, as Paul would say when he was told to stop preaching in that name, he said, my life is this. Christ crucified and risen again. Later you'd say, my life is this. To know the power of his resurrection. To walk in holiness. To walk in life. To walk in peace and strength and victory. And say, no matter what pressure there has been. No matter the heat, 
has been upon me. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. And I trust that he can take my life, transform it into this priceless diamond. And it's time now for me to make a choice to step up into that life and follow after him, seeking righteousness and self-control and to leave sin behind. I share some favorite quotes each week and Helmut Thylik said one of the most profound things. He said this, when the drama of history is over, Jesus Christ will stand alone upon the stage. All the great figures of history, Pharaoh, Alexander the Great, Charlemagne, Churchill, Stalin, Mao, will realize they have been bit actors in a drama produced by another. All the people seeking titles and their own idea of power, their self-significance, no matter who that person is, no matter how much they, they try to control others, Every single person in all of history compared to Christ is nothing but a bit actor. So let us follow the producer of life. Who the angel proclaimed, why do you seek the dead when he is alive? Why do you seek the living here in an empty tomb when he is risen as he said he would be? A few years ago, Nadine Corey moved from Minnesota to Philadelphia. When he went to the new school, there were seven bullies there. Nadine's about 85 pounds at the time, 13 years old. These bullies began to shove him into lockers, push him, knock him down, mock him, call him names, make fun of his family, insult him, threaten him. Till one day they find him outside after school. For 30 minutes, these seven bullies, they beat and pummel Nadine. While they do it, they laugh. And while they do it, they also film it. They go home and they posted that video of beating Nadine online. Some news channels got a hold of it. One invited Nadine to their show. Said Nadine, who's your hero? He said, I'm a huge fan of the Philadelphia Eagles. And they're on live TV behind Nadine. Walked out three linebackers from the Philadelphia Eagles. They gave Nadine high fives. They gave him jerseys. And they're on live TV in front of everyone. They also said, here is our cell phone number. And if those bullies touch you again, you call us. And we will be there and make sure they never touch you again. And they never did. And in the same light, Jesus enters into our life and says to us, this cosmic bully, Satan and sin and fears and anxieties. He says, listen, 
I bought you with a price. You don't have to live in fear of that any longer because I am now your life. As we trust in him, we celebrate that he is risen. He is risen indeed.